there that keeps people from doing the wrong thing because prior to this like prior to that much path, different terrible, consequence but yeah no, no no but like like you never knew like there were there's been like there were stories from like 1870 all the way up until like 1930 where like people were calling it whiskey or calling it bourbon or calling it this but like really like there was like spit in it there was like all sorts of stuff and so like there had okay. to be legal ramifications for doing it the right way or for doing it the wrong way Welcome back to the Interview Podcast on the Why Millbank Podcast Network from Millbank, South Dakota. This is Craig Weinberg. Whymillbank.com is our website where you can find all the shows that originate out of this studio. If you want to help support the show, you can do that. We are funded by the value for value model that says you choose the value you get out of the show. You decide how much it's worth. You send it our way so we can continue these conversations or tell your friends. Today on the show, Fabian Raphael from Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, I got to know him briefly in uh, late January, early February of this year. Uh, He is a fascinating mind, uh, a great intellect to talk to. I had a blast getting to know him, and this conversation we had was, it, it, it was hard to end. And we will certainly do part two. But I hope you enjoy it. Thanks for listening. Maybe in Raphael. Yes. Raphael. So I, I, there's a Marin at the end of your name? Correct. Is that? That is my last name. I have two first names uh, that I go, and I go by both of them together or just by my first first name. Oh, so, you, so you hyphenate your first name. That You know, that that's unique. I don't hyphenate it. It's <laughs> obviously, you know, it's my middle name, but like growing up, I don't know if you're recording or not, but no, growing up, okay. Uh, growing up, especially like in in the Latino community, being you know being having that culture and heritage, oftentimes family or or cousins would differentiate you or just like emphasize that they're speaking about you, um, or when they're doing a shout out, whatever it may be, they'll say your first name and middle name, but so so so, would, it, so it's not in a scolding manner like we would do as parents. No. No, okay. no, it wasn't a scold. It wasn't a scolding manner. It was, it was like I only got it in a scolding manner. Um, actually, I don't think I ever got it in a scolding. I don't think my mother ever referred to me as uh, both names. I huh. think she just she just referred to me by my first name. Um, so there was never, and and she definitely scolded me through my first name. Um, hey, Fabian. But, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, but other than that. That was, um, and then obviously, you know, I had the Catholic school scolding where they would refer to you as Mr. or Mr. Mar- uh, my last name, Mr. Mr. Marine or young, young Mr. Marin. Ooh, um, young Mr. That's, that's it. That's the worst. Yeah. That's that. So that was, so, uh, went to private, went to Catholic school for nine years and like lots of, you know, uh, looking back on it, it was probably the best decision. Uh, and I really commend my mother for making it happen, but, Why? um, Okay, I'll tell you why. Because when I finished eighth grade, I started, and everybody else in our in my school did as well. Uh, anybody, one of us who decided to go to public school, um, and even some other private schools, uh, we all started at tenth or eleventh grade levels. Well, so, well, well hold, oh, okay, so we're gonna have to back up a bit because sure. uh, <clears throat> I met you in I think it was February, it was either Correct. late January, or early February. It had to be early January. Oh, it might have been mid, yeah, because I, I was down in uh, Whitesboro, 
doing a job with a client down there, and then I uh, was able to hook up with um, our friend, Mr. our Thompson. mutual friend, Mr. Mr. Thompson, the young Mr. Thompson, the young Mr. Thompson, yes, <laughs> Click Thompson, yes. Uh, yes. Photo- rodeo photographer extraordinaire, uh, and he said, "Oh, I I know the bartender at the Cowtown Coliseum, so I'll be up there." All right, so it happened to be you, and then he's like, "Everybody what? loves everybody loves using that phrase." By the way, it doesn't matter if you are, if you are or aren't a bartender, or if like or or even how in deeply you know the person. Being able to say the phrase to somebody who hasn't been to where you are, of oh, I know the bartender. Meet me over there. Blah 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 blah. Because you know, me and the bartender are like that. Anybody and everybody gets use that however click definitely deserves the right to use that <laughs> and he'll That's tell you opinion. about it perfect and, yeah you know we, sure. it, i have sure. you know i'm sporting his picture on the yes i see on that the, it looks on great. the back it's of my great. screen just because i can um right because he so generously self-promoted himself and it's like hey do you need some patches of my face i'll give you some like the type to do that <laughs> no a Not photographer remotely. self-promoting that is unheard of sir <laughs> That's outrageous uh so anyway after the rodeo we he asked if i wanted to go out with him and and i, I sure uh i was in town didn't have anything to do <clears throat> so we met up with this bearded man with a dynamite hat by the way oh thank you very much thank i was actually much. rather jealous of your hat um uh, so i could i could bring it out if you want the if you want the visuals <laughs> well, of it i mean i <laughs> We can save that for later. We'll save it for Absolutely, later. Absolutely, yeah. I usually don't whip up my hat unless it's the second podcast. Right. Well, th- that'll be the in-person podcast where we're, yeah, make, take, where yeah, we're mixing me some dinner, drinks. Take me to dinner first before I whip it out, man. Come on. <laughs> um, so then I met you, and what I learned rather quickly is that you're no dummy and no well, slouch kind of, when it comes kind, to That's very kind of you. And I don't mean dummy. And, you know, you, you, what I presume, and learning about your... your uh, uh, high school or your schooling, um, you're kind of intelligent. So you say at eighth grade, you guys were two or three grades ahead of that? For sure. Um, no questions asked. And, and this is something I say um, with a lot of humility, uh, a lot of concern about the overall American education system. And um, at the same time, with a lot of uh, grace and appreciation for everything that was done through the school schooling that I received um, at Holy Cross Elementary located in uh, Kensington, Maryland. Um, yeah, so we all, my main problem when I was in school was, uh, and this was funny because, you know, there, there were lots of issues there, obviously, 80s, 90s, uh, different types of racial tensions existed as opposed to now, and I'm, I'm not using that at all. Uh, but, you know, I, I, uh, I was a bit of a lazy POS as a kid um, and it got confused and it's understandably confused, um, uh, confusing uh, intelligence and comprehension with inability to comprehend and do the work. So I just wasn't willing to do the work. I didn't want to do the work. So I was getting poor grades. Test time came around or they would send me to specific instructors to test my comprehension, my, you know, whether what levels of cognitive bias I do or don't have, they would supply, you know, rationality tests, logic tests, simple math, mathematical tests, reasoning tests, so on and so on. And every single time, the majority of all all of us in the school, in the class would, would 
top 90th percentile, right? 90th percentile every single time. 90th percentile, 95th percentile, 90th percentile. Now, now was this in the Catholic school still? Or this was, was this? This was this was both. So they would, whenever, whenever there were concerns about a child's ability uh, to comprehend the material, um, testing would be done, mm-hmm. right? And my mom would, you know, go and support me like, listen, you know, it's difficult. He's not doing the work. And I realized that later too. I just, I, and I think they realized that I was kind of just bored. And, um, and that isn't to say anything else. Cause a lot of the material was difficult. We were, I mean, we were reading Macbeth in fourth and fifth grade, right? We were, we read the taming of the shrew, taming of the shrew in mm-hmm. sixth grade. So I remember this like very vividly because of how much of, you know, we just had to go through it. And it was really just, you know, understanding that, you know, there's, there's a difference between somebody who it's going to sound silly. I'm going to, I'm going to pull in an example here. I, I may be rambling and I apologize. Uh, Bill Gates made a point about uh, if you had to hire two people, do you want to hire the hard worker or the lazy person? And Bill Gates response, what people understand is this part. They say, I'll hire the lazy person because they'll find the fastest way to achieve this project. Mm. What, what's being missed here is that he also goes on to mention it has also a lot to do with while hard work is a very important skill set to have, mm-hmm. hard work at a certain point doesn't beat intelligence, right? And vice versa. You can only have so it requires a certain level of intelligence to know that you have to put in the hard work. But if you don't have the intelligence for the hard work that you're doing, you're going to continue to work hard and not work creatively. And creatively can be misconstrued as lazy because you're taking faster, easier, newer ways, right? So nobody wanted to do, you know, like now we heard it growing up. You're not going to have a calculator in your pocket when you grow up. You need to learn. You need to do the work to do all that. Hello. Here we, yeah, <laughs> yeah, here we, here we are, right? right. Here we are. Uh, with calculators in our pockets, yeah. but the difference is we actually know how they function. Mm. Whereas I love my kids very much, and I love this new generation. I'm sure that you know, uh, <laughs> you know, Michael Jackson. We are the future children here, but uh, you know, their comprehension of how those equations come to fruition is 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 almost nil, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but anyways, I, I got side tangled. Well, so for well, me, it was hold, just, hold on. Let's let, let's go down that rabbit for a minute. Rabbit trail for a minute. Does it matter if you understand how the process, like how the equation gets, like the steps of it, as long as the result is there? Uh, how do you know that that's the correct result? The calculator decided, <laughs> you know, for presuming you input the proper data, it's going to give you the right result. Right. So, yeah. and, and then how do you, how do you know what the proper data is? Well, okay. I'll, I'll give you that. Right. So you yeah. have to like, at a certain point, you're like, so Gary V, I, I hate to admit that I, I enjoy some of his material, but I also am happy to admit that, you know, he's very successful. Yeah, it works. <laughs> well, and his material is great. Um, you know, he makes a very good point that, you know, I don't need to fucking know this or fucking know that while he bites his fingernails and then goes to town. He says, it doesn't make mm-hmm. sense, right? But what he's, he's making the point is all the answers are there, right? They're all available to us. You have a question about any topic whatsoever. Yeah. Just Google it in. will there. be, yeah. Your, yeah, it's there. However, you know, it's also critical. And, and he makes it clear. There are very specific genres, very specific categories of knowledge that that is not going to be sufficient. It's going to give you an answer, but that doesn't mean you're going to understand the answer. It's like with your kids, like I'm telling you this and they say, well, I don't understand it. Mm-hmm. And I say it, I may sound like a jerk. It's like, your inability to understand it doesn't mean it doesn't make sense. It just means you don't understand it, right? 
So, so then it's our job as the parent to help them. It's our job as the parent. It's our job, it. right? And it's our Eventually. job as individuals to understand it, right? Mm-hmm. As well. Um, so, anyways, that was a, that was a big, bit tangly road. We yeah, like this it. came from uh, elementary school talk. All right, yeah, sorry. About that. <laughs> That's what schools should be. That was anyway. that was that was quite the ramble there. I apologize. <laughs> Don't. So, so you're in. Uh, you're testing out of uh, your Catholic school into a public. Western education, so I, education. I'm sure. Model. So I, I definitely uh, revolted, and I said, I am tired of um, this uh, private Catholic school experience. Which, looking back, I uh, uh, shouldn't have been allowed to make that decision, or to, um, I, sh- I shouldn't have been such a jerk to my mom about it. Wait, so, um, so you, you chose to not continue in the Catholic school all the way the through Catholic high school. Private school. Correct. correct. You could have. Like, that was an option. Yes, it was an option. Mm. Okay. In in my town here in South Dakota, there is a a Catholic school, but it only goes through uh, elementary. Like, middle school starts at the public school. So, there's no other option. Yeah, K through 8 was was that school. Okay. And then I had the option to, to, you know, go to... We all did. We all had the option to go to another next level private slash, you know, Catholic school. Um, and, uh, half of us did and half of us didn't. And those of us who did and didn't still realize the same thing. Uh, those of us who didn't, those of us who did rather got to, you know, Catholic private high school and realized, um, really quickly that they were glad that they got that education because they would have been struggling that first year. Mm. Uh, those of us who didn't go on. Uh, we went to public school and everybody was accepted into magnet programs, all AP classes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, are starting at 10th and 11th grade levels. Did, uh, did, did the public school kids that were, that you joined, uh, were they just irritated because you guys stepped in and you jumped ahead right away? No, I don't think, I mean, cause we were still in the same grade. The thing is we were just taking different courses. So like by 11th grade, everybody was taking college level credits. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, so were, was 11th and 12th grade necessary? Yeah, and I think it was if only, especially like the socialization of everybody who went to the public schools at least for one year versus the people who didn't. In my opinion, um, shows uh, and having met up with a few of them again and and what what they're what they are or are not like. Now I could be speaking hugely out of out of place. You know, I only get a sample size of people that. I knew these people, you know, kindergarten through ninth grade, and then we would meet again like every three years. Uh, we haven't seen each other. The last time, last time, I think like 13 of us, we were a graduating class, eighth grade graduating class of 28. Um, the last time 13 of us got together for a wedding uh, because we all still keep in touch. <clears throat> and that was about four, four years ago. Mm. So um, you, you say the socialization uh, growth was different. Give me an example. Yeah, I, I mean it's pretty straightforward, right? The what you experience, uh, as far as the raw experience of social classes of people, uh, both what is acceptable in the hallways and what is coming into the hallways from home. It's, it's, I wouldn't even call it night and day. I'd call it, I'd call it, I'd call it, you know, Saturn and Jupiter is what I'd call it. 
um, you have completely different atmospheres. Um, is one worse or better than the other? Or are, uh, they, or are they just different? One is more groomed and polished, which creates and emphasizes that. The other does not have the grooming or the polishing, which either allows the individual to fall into the dirt or to appreciate that the dirt is what you grow from. So I don't know. So, so which one was more polished in your view? Oh, the private school all day. Like no questions asked. Right. I mean, the Catholic private school, I I can't say no. I mean, there's a reason why, you know, they have such a strong reputation. It's because they really do. I mean, Is, is that because of the rules? Oh, for sure. The rules, uh, the, the amount of pressure that's there, mm-hmm. the, the, uh, the social pressure in a very different way for, you know, academia, for, achieve, for achievement, for, um, uh, for, you know, accurate use of grammar, for accurate use of metaphors, for accurate use of analogies. For, so it goes on and on and all these pressures are there. I mean, I, I remember, I think everybody remembers this. I don't know how many people got it. So starting in I want to say second grade. I'm not going to say his name, but the Monsignor. So there's Father Monsignor, and then you have different levels as far as it goes up in priesthood and Catholic mm-hmm. and Catholicism. Um, starting in second grade, he would read everybody's report cards out loud in front of the class. Really? Oh yeah, quarterly. Like and say, all right, now Robert, he yes. got a C. And then he would go, <laughs> really? Down, yes. Yes. <laughs> So like there is this level of like guilt and like not wanting to be ashamed and not wanting to be, you know, or like having to, or like having to know what it means to feel shame. Like, you know, that was your, for lack of better phrasing, that was your scarlet letter. Mm -hmm. And you had like seven of them every quarter in front of everybody in the classroom. Um, So not everyone got a trophy. Not everybody was a winner. Oh, absolutely not. I mean, they definitely did everything that was possible, you know, it was important. They it was important to recognize people for participating, but that wasn't an award, and that was very clear. Yeah, that, that wasn't the goal. That wasn't the goal, and yeah. I think that's what kind of got lost. Like everybody makes fun of participation trophies. I said, no, I think participation is an important thing, and we need to commend it. I actually yeah. think it's a very important thing, but we don't. But we also need to make it very clear that the participation is not an award. It's not like stating that you did something great it's stating that you were present and you were mm-hmm. there for something great that happened right which is something and it isn't part of the problem as we've kind of leveled those out like participation and winning are now the same thing good job right and it's not and so the way that we i think somewhere along the way that got that got lost and i think people forget that <clears throat> and they're just bashing participation i think participation is absolutely critical it's the reason why in my opinion, this country became as great as it did because of participation. Mm. And everybody won because of everyone's participation. Um, So it gets conflated at times. But yeah, it would be, ah, young Mr. Marine. I see, uh, oh, we did well in religion. Uh, And recess, uh, good job. (laughs) uh, uh, Physical education, yeah. Um, Oh. I see here, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John would not be satisfied with your writing skills. B minus, young man. B minus. Pythagoras, not satisfied with math. B plus, why? 
that's it's uh, it's got too many curves in that letter for your grade. Uh, Pythagoras told us triangular shapes are the best one. <laughs> like, and, like, and this was like everybody. Wow. And, and, so, so was that like know, the first class? Like, this is it? We're going through this? Oh, okay. yeah. So like as soon as report cards came out, yeah. quarterly, yeah. quarterly, Monsignor, insert name, if anybody from Holy Cross, they know who I'm talking about, <laughs> insert name, would just go through and just read everybody's report card cl- out loud grade by grade by like class by class by class and then they'd go on then he'd then he'd hand it to you and look at you and because at that point he's like you think he's like seven feet tall in this long black drape (laughs) he's looking down at you handing you this thing and you're like taking it like is this is this my letter of shame is this or am i thanking you for 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 telling me how terrible I am and I need to get better and I can get better. Right. Is, like, yeah. Is the next step to the stocks out in the the town square? Is that next? For, for lashings, yes. <laughs> right. For public lashings. Uh so uh but it's weird though because at the same time, uh I think it was really important. Like I look back on it and I think that it did a lot of character building and and it's weird because i talk to my kids all the time about it when they're going through stuff and i look at them and they hate it and they're they're having a hard time i said ah it looks like we're doing some character building today mm-hmm. and um you know it it allowed me to you know be able to accept criticism and uh just just have a deeper understanding of humility and i didn't know it at the time but i look back on it now and it's like oh that's kind of like a rough thing to do to a kid for 9 years straight but yeah, but it's, it's kind of life at some point. At the same time, it's like, mm-hmm. I'm lucky that it's being said to me in such like a playful yeah. quote, you know. And, and you know, a safe environment. Absolutely, yeah. 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 No, it, it's yeah. like Calvin from Calvin and Hobbes. He talks yeah, to his exactly. dad. He's like, dad, how come every time I build character, you get something done? <laughs> well, yeah, I love that. You know? I love Calvin and Hobbes. great. Yeah. <laughs> so do you think that that was how public school was intended and used to be? No, I don't. Um, so f- to my understanding, public school, I mean, I think public school system served a really great purpose initially. Um, I think I think the problem now is, you know, there's there's a phrase and I'm probably gonna butcher it. We're using we're using an 18th century system to supply 20th century individuals a 19th century education mm. oh, I, I i would almost push back a little bit with, with, with the idea that today it's 18th century because i think it's not that because back then there actually was emphasis on the arts there was value okay I mean, you, you, so you, aside, you learned aside, you you sure. learned dancing you learned i mean there was a we lot had to do more. that we had we had music like yeah. Yeah, music class i mean kids had that, yeah. but what i'm what That's i'm gone saying is in like, the public school the, system the, right the structure of it right is you have a group of kids at a desk mm-hmm. and there's one person teaching them everything mm-hmm. right and um it's based off of these levels of knowledge that existed in the 18th century but but right? do, you, do you think the the difference is you know, because back back in the olden days, back in the one room schoolhouse day, where you had we you know, grade K through eight, twelve in one room, all working together. The teacher had to be able to adapt to all grades. The older right. ones there, had to do to help the younger. Nowadays, it's not like that. Nowadays, it's well, no, everyone the was, same age has to be together all day long. 
which is what needs to happen. That is the right way to go about it. But the problem is that the logistical expansion was too great, Mm. right? Like you have the schoolhouse, as you mentioned, okay, you have like maybe 17 kids, right? And all of these little house on the prairie shows Mm -hmm. or whatever, you know, novel it is that you're reading and they're different age groups. Sure. But the logistical reality is now is that a schoolhouse, if you will, is comprised of roughly 2000 children now. Mm -hmm. Right. So you can't have. But but that's a direct result of society's change into a a two income uh, family structure, isn't it? Well, there was it was, I I suppose, um, because isn't it reality that school is first and foremost daycare? Okay. It is. I'm going to push back. Well, but 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 when I say school, I mean the the fact that I have to, I the kids have to be there from seven thirty till three or four, and then there's an after school program they can go to because mom and dad aren't off work yet. Okay, so while I don't disagree with this being something that exists in the system, I would not say that it is the system's fault. It is the utilizers of the system's fault. Okay, Uh, break that down. All right, this is an operator error. So this is administrations not, or the parents? No, the parents. Oh, is it this them is or a, is it their is, boss? No, this is a personal. It's not their boss. It's you. It's the personal <laughs> responsibility conversation that we that you know needs to happen, right? Okay. Uh, I agree. Uh, I think everybody realized really quickly how much how free they're getting childcare. Number mm-hmm. one, mm-hmm. Um, especially with COVID hitting the mm-hmm. way that it did, uh, and and two, um, this is. You know, and I'm sure this is going to tumble into another discussion uh, that we may or may not have. Uh, This is a personal responsibility based on if you are having a child, you need to be responsible for the levels of experience that that child receives. Period. Um, And if the levels of experience that that child receives, is based solely on the freeness of that experience. You are the failure, not the child. No, I, I agree. The child's not the failure, but is the right. system. And the system is but, not. But, no, but because does the system facilitate you're, you're, that, you're, though? Okay. Does, does a wheelbarrow facilitate somebody not walking? Sure. Right. But somebody else has to do the work. Okay. Right. Yeah. So. You know, it's kind of that self-eating snake concept where you're just kind of going around doing this thing where you can't just pick a point and say, this is where the problem is. The problem is Mm multi-dimensional and multi-tiered. So so is the answer answer easy? No, the answer is never easy. And I think that's the problem. I think one of the things that we've gotten obsessed with as Americans is thinking that the answer to everything is so easy Mm -hmm. and everything is so... um, you know, black and white, as opposed to understanding that it's on a spectrum or it's on a scales of gray. There's no such thing as, as really black or white, uh, short of you knowing every single detail about every single thing that occurred at every single point in time mm-hmm. during the creation and what we're looking at as the product now. Because if you listen to any politician or any school administrator, the answer is more money. That's it. You know, this is how we fix it. More money. Um no, that's not how we fix it, but not supplying more money will make it worse. 
You mean so if we don't give money? Well, but do you have to give money properly though? Like, does it for does sure? You- right. So, but then that means more money, right? That <laughs> yeah, definitely means right. more. It's like yeah, that definitely means more money, right? Mm-hmm. So. You know, how are we, again, like this goes down to how are people breaking things down? It's like a lot of the people thought a good example, this is a great example of poor, poor verbiage, right? A great example of poor verbiage is defund the police, Mm -hmm. right? If anybody looked into it, really, to my understanding, I, I could be incorrect. Now, there are lots of people who got it wrong, but defund the police wasn't, we don't want to have police. No, what it actually translated to was, we need to defund the way that we have them and structure it in a way that makes more sense to educate them and to have people involved where they need to be involved and law force not involved in certain ways, which is weird because there are specific political parties that really don't want the law inside of their life. There needs to be social structures there as opposed to legal structures there yeah but but they want the law in other people's lives around them they just don't want yeah to which there. is weird right so it's <laughs> right. weird so it needs to be so it needs to be organized in a very specific way mm-hmm. and and the way that that happens is by you you know d- okay does a police force really need tanks the answer is no i mean we don't live in a military state and i would uh, hey, hold, whoa, that- whoa 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 wait a minute we don't have you been to any small town police department Exactly, which <laughs> right, is weird exactly. because they're all, all anti-military state. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right? So it's like wh- why is there so much of a uh uh misconstrued and contradiction uh situation happening here, mm-hmm. right? Uh, why a good friend of mine years ago was a uh, on the beat cop for a while. He drove a, he was a patrol officer uh in Oregon. He had a fully automatic M16 at right mm-hmm. beside him every day in his car. Why? Okay. He's stopping people for speeding. You know, yeah. the occasional drug bus. Really? Machine gun? Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. So. Uh, I think, I think, you know, and then you start getting into, this is the area of gray, right? It's like, okay. Chicago might need those. <sighs> but even then, maybe like, not. I don't know. But even then, What are you, what are you, what type of presence, right? You, uh, how, how far are we getting from serve and protect to enforce? And, you know, we're getting further away from serve and protect and closer to, uh, you know, enforce and obey. Well, oh, okay. There was an example, uh, I think it was last summer down in Austin, Texas. There was a, uh, a homeowner in the city limits of Austin, Texas, who <clears throat> was, ended up being shot by the cops and his house caught on fire and burned to the ground. And when what happened was they were there to enforce the ordinance that said you have to cut your grass. And the guy ended up is over a couple a few years of of going back and forth and you know the the city would send people to go on his property and you know from this guy's perspective it appeared as though they people were trespassing. So I I, can, I don't know how you get to the point where then you shoot at the cops because they're coming to enforce a, a a lawn yard maintenance order uh, and then you end up dying uh i bet you i know who he voted for <laughs> i don't know maybe <clears throat> but keep going uh so is this a result of you know and you're talking about education how when did it go bad when did it get to the point where we have essentially given up a lot of freedom 
in America, the free society, in order for some level of protection. Was that back in the olden days when we needed the sheriff to come to town and get rid of the drunks that were, you know, they'd shoot up the saloon every now and then? Uh, was it farther back than that? I mean, because at some point there was a transaction. The free people said, all right, we don't, we either aren't able to okay, or but, don't want to okay. police, let's, you know, let's, to, to keep the peace. And so we need someone to come do it. Here's a badge. You're the let's guy. Define, but let's define terms here, right? And I think this is important. Uh, and how do you mean free? And then tell me, in what way are we not free? Uh, if I don't pay a tax bill on the property that I supposedly own. Say again? If, if, if I don't pay a tax bill sure. on the property that I supposedly own, it's technically in mm -hmm. my name. I mean, the bank has part of it too. But um, if I don't pay that, there will be people with mm -hmm. weapons coming to collect that money. Okay, so these are two arguments that you're putting into one. Well, well but my, my, my are, well, but are, right? right? These are two. There's a, there's a, these are two separate things that are being combined into one. One, the enforcement of a law through what apparently was another law that allowed them to use X type of weapons to enforce law if they feel that they're in danger. Right. The second, the second <clears throat> right. part is then also you as a property owner under the impression that you own property or are an owner of the United States and have a right to say <laughs> what type of effect your property does or doesn't have on others. Okay. Uh, why do I have to put two stickers on the front and back of my vehicle in order to be allowed to move about freely in that vehicle that I supposedly own on okay. a road that Again, I'm paying for? I, but see, it, it, it's those freedoms. I, I mean, freedom, private property, in my opinion, is the paramount thing. If I don't have private property and can protect it and and guard it i have nothing and so and, and that i can think be, that's a, i think that's an illusion i think oh, oh i, think I, I a, don't have that i agree but i, right. I think that if we um, that is freedom in my opinion now i also believe that with that freedom comes a huge amount of responsibility i have to then be aware of what my actions are doing to my neighbor absolutely right. without with no doubt but where did we go to where that decision of who, if I'm affecting my neighbor, actually went to a person who we've decided as a society to allow the people with weapons to be the enforcer of that and to check up on that. I don't know. Okay. It, it, it's that, I, I can, it's that can, transfer that, that I'm, I'm can, wondering about. Where did I that can tell you, come I can about? tell you exactly where. It was in the formation of the United States because okay. there, was, there was a point where we went from uh, the United States are to the to the United States is, right? And in that, right, it was also the understanding- You mean the all caps, United States? Right. Okay, I'm with you. Sure, mm -hmm. right? The United States are set, is a mm -hmm. separate entity, right? Yep. And it, it shows individuality of each state mm -hmm. to the United States is. Yep. Um, so uh, what people miss here is that in that formation, there was an agreed upon, and even before that, each state understood this, um, but it, can finalize here is that the state has an obligation to protect its citizens, period. The last thing you want, no matter what, is essentially vigilante law. You want a structured body that is ideally non-biased and that does not have a horse in the race to objectively analyze and assess the information that's present and what occurred and what did not occur, and then create a resolution. In addition to that, 
the state has responsibility to protect somebody or some bodies that do not have the means or are unwilling to enact in physical action to, quote, protect themselves. Those people still have a right to be protected. So that's where it stems from, right? And then mm-hmm. obviously you have all these politicians or money manipulating it into money. all sorts of codes, mm-hmm. right? Um, but that is, I mean, if you really want to dig to it, it's, it comes from that. So then we come back to what we were saying originally is interpretation and understanding of a concept. And the concept, I think that concept is accurate and it should be accurate, right? Because prior to that, it really didn't exist. You had monarchy and aristocrats and royalty making very biased decisions on, you know, what did or didn't occur. Uh, You'd have to present your case to the king in court or to one of his representatives in court. And it wasn't really court system. It was really just you being told yes or no, or if somebody was guilty or not guilty based on unfounded evidence. Mm -hmm. So... Um, short story long, it comes from a sound system that has been distorted. So it, are, are we too far down the road to bring it back to its fundamentals or okay. do we just what have does to that work mean? within? But I think nobody thinks about what does that mean? Okay. What do we take away? Well, okay. I, I had a, it's like the public education system, you know, the federal right. department of education. That That's a federal government agency. Right. Um, Right. If we said no more federal Department of Ed, we would what, be fucked. It, it, because of money? No, because um, we would be fucked because one, childcare, right? But that's not even reason number one. Number, I think it has to be, reason, doesn't it? It's not reason number one. It's reason number two. Okay. Reason number one is because of one, the reason why, right, that protects child labor laws right? It protects children. It allows children to be fed outside of personal responsibility of the adults that they're in. But, but doesn't that to... perpetuate the problem though? The, the lack of, of parental involvement. Does that perpetuate? Okay. Now, again, I mean, you... I, some of, some of the answers to this I know are hard and I know would be detrimental to a generation. Sure. I get that, but sure. I, I want to have the conversation about it. It wouldn't be sure. I don't think it would be detrimental to a generation. I think it would be de- Detrimental to every generation involved and affected, knowingly or unknowingly. Um, but, but but would that be detrimental going forward, though? Like, for or, sure. or would it just force some change that might be necessary? Well, I think you can force change without saying we eliminate all of this. Right. Okay. That's not that's not how you. That's so like it's like saying in my you know, this is an extreme example, but I'm going to supply an extreme. Uh, less than steel man, probably <laughs> somewhere in between straw man and steel man <laughs> argument here. Aluminum. <laughs> right. Thin um, aluminum. Does, does um, a child being abused at home, somebody shows up and takes the child so that the child doesn't get abused, does that perpetuate the problem? If nothing is done to the perpetrator, then yes. Okay. But, but so, I, I don't think it fixes the problem. Now, it, okay. sa- it saves the kid, no doubt, and it should. Okay. Right. Okay. So, with that being said, what needs to be done to the perpetrator? <laughs> I don't know. I'm not the arbiter of that. I mean, something okay. harsh. Stop okay. them from doing it again. 
castration, okay. something. They can't do it again. I don't think castration stops them from doing it again, but okay. Well, it um, stops them from making more children. Sure. It doesn't mean they sure. can't acquire more children, but it stops them right. from making them. <laughs> right, or abuse them. Right, sure. Right. Um, uh, so, okay. Then the question that follows is, all right, what is the resolution then? And what happens now to that child? I, originally, the, the system was probably set up with good intentions. It's just broken. Sure. So that, does that mean but, you eliminate the system entirely, or do you have to go in and understand that there is contextual setting? And we hate to say it, because our world is like, even though the world is smaller, it is so much more complex because we understand that there are details behind things that we're unwilling to admit. We weren't willing to admit that 300 years ago, right? We're willing to admit that now. And because we're willing to admit that now also comes the responsibility of knowing that there's contextual details mm -hmm. behind all of these things, right? And, and you have to understand that while you're attempting to do the, you can, this, I've said this to my kids a lot, and I'm not saying it to you like you're a kid, but I'm just saying it. There is such a thing as, there is such a thing as doing the right thing the wrong way. So right now, the education system is attempting to do the right thing. They're just doing it the wrong way. Okay. On the opposite side of that, everybody who has complaints about it is trying to do the right thing for the educational system and the kids, but they're doing it the wrong way. Okay. See, I, I like that better than saying for the wrong reason. No, it's not for the wrong. Yeah. I mean, there is such a thing as the wrong reason, but you can do the right thing mm -hmm. the wrong way. Yeah. You can have the right reason and do it the wrong way. Mm -hmm. And I think everybody gets so caught up in like my reasons, this, or having the right reasons or having the wrong reasons. It's like, no, let, let's eliminate right or wrong reason. Right. Are you doing it the right way? So that, that kind of goes not, that kind of jumps back to my original thought is how do we like are we so far down the road that there's we can't go back? Um can't so we back. just have to adapt and yes. try to try to work within it. And then who yes. gets to make that call? You have to assign people who at some level are more you have to be willing to accept humility and know that there's some people who are more qualified or better educated than you. Are they in power today? Yes and no, <laughs> right? It's like, yeah. at what level is this opinion versus just, you know, statistical analysis? And the reality is, unfortunately, a lot of it is opinion-based as opposed to, you know, analysis-based. What, what should be the, the presiding factor? Should it be the data, like straight up facts only, rule, make the decisions based on hard numbers? Or do you need to have some nuance in there, some... It needs, I think if anything, if anything, it needs to be 60, 40, that breakup. Uh, so the more the 60 is data. Yeah. The 60 is data and the 40% is, is emotion. And, and that works uh, in the sense that with every decision that's made, 60% of that is emotion and 40% of it is data. Right. So how do we break <laughs> right. that? Down? Right. It sounds silly, right? Yeah. No, it's, it it's, sounds it's exactly right though. Uh, because you want to, again, this goes back to, to something that, you know, I really have a strong, you know, core founding on is that you have to accept that there is contextual realities mm -hmm. to every situation. And the action that you take on funding, whatever it may be, can be absolutely detrimental to ruining somebody's life who's really at some point before they're, you know, 16, not responsible for their life.
for the most part, right? So when you're making these decisions, you know, quotes for the better, for the worse, it needs to be somebody who understands that maybe we don't blanket these decisions for the entire system. Maybe this is, you know, it's like a, it's like a quilt. The education <laughs> system is like a quilt. You create a box, you add a box, you add a box, you add a box. After a period of time, you go back to, you know, you see you have 700 boxes over X amount of years that you created in the quilt. And you go back and you see some of the original ones, you're like, oh, ooh, we kind of let that slide. That needs to be patched. This needs to be corrected. Maybe that doesn't belong there. Maybe that needs to be moved over to this side because of the way that it's frayed. Like that is what needs to happen as opposed to just saying, oh, throw the whole quilt away and everybody freezes. Oh, okay. I, I totally get that. But isn't that the, the argument? directly for state control and not federal control of the system of education? So the answer is, again, no. And the reason why is because while it seems honky-dory to presume that everybody in a single state has the same mentality, the reality is that everybody in a single state doesn't. So Right, right state- but how, how does that continue to create flexibility within the system? Because if you've got a, a, a pyramid, the top-down mm-hmm. dictates throughout, where we say that across the United States, every... 15-year-old must be at the same level across the whole country. In theory, yeah. That, it, isn't that like throwing out the concept of the quilt? No, because the concept of the quilt is it's comprised of squares. So everybody, every single one of those has to be a square, right? Okay. Now, it can be It can be a different size, from, different color. It, for sure. Different and fabric. It can, flu- it can fluctuate. Okay within a certain level of parameters, mm-hmm. right? Just like every single human being, you, have, you, can, you can behave at a certain level within a certain level of parameters, but once you step outside of those parameters, you are causing hurt or infringing upon somebody else's ability to live their life. So while this, the state presumes that the only thing exists is the square patch on the quilt, Whereas the federal government understands, no, you are part of a body of quilts. You do not get to just do this and then wreak havoc on everybody else because you want to have it this way. And you need to understand that you're connected to everybody. It's not just you. E pluribus unum. It's not just you. So it, is that the argument for an interstate road system? Oh, that jumped. Sure. Um <laughs> Oh, no, no. I mean, um, the point is, you know, the 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 large the argument for that is, well, the one body needs to oversee the whole infrastructure, so it's consistent throughout. Right. It, it, is yeah, that the sure. logic behind a federal Department of Education? Absolutely, and I think that's the logic of any nation state. Period. I mean, it has to be any successful one, right? And you know, the reason why we are arguably the most successful one over the longest period of time is because of that concept. It's because of understanding that everybody has to answer to everybody at some level. I mean, even the federal government has to answer to other bodies. It has to go to paneling. It has to answer to you know the citizens who decide to take action or to participate in it or not. And if you don't have that, then it's going to happen. But because the operators are humans, there is going, it's going to tilt in specific ways. But it, we, for the most part, all agree that For the most part, we all agree on what qualifies as murder and what doesn't qualify as murder, right? We all agree as, you know, how we go about, you know, enforcing that and keeping people in the boundaries. 
Like one of the reasons why the murder count is as low as it is in the world, let alone in this country, you know, it's a high number for sure. But the reason why it's even that low is because a law for it exists. If there was no law against murder, it would be wild. In my opinion. So your assumption is, or your implication is that criminals who disregard the law are regarding the law about murder? Clarify your question a little bit better for me. Well, you said be, the reason we don't have murders globally as more than we do is because the laws exist. So that implies that there's a lot of murderers going around and go, crap, it's illegal. I can't do it. Oh, for sure. And I think everybody makes a joke of criminals are going to be criminals. Absolutely. However, because the concept and the thought of the law for murder exists in the first place, it hinders individuals who otherwise don't have the passion or ability to do it from following through with it. So, okay. So the thought, the theory is that we have people out there that would just, oh, if, hands if, down. if, if there was no me? law, they would just swerve into the me? sidewalk. Are you kidding me? Really? Oh man. <laughs> think, think about it. Think about how many people, I, 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 I will admit, people, I will admit all day long. Commit, <laughs> how much road rage doesn't occur because people know what the laws are and the repercussions that are going to happen to them. Laws aren't there to protect others. Laws are actually there to protect you from causing harm to others and in effect facing repercussions from the harm you caused. I, I just find it fascinating that the, you would assume that there are a lot of would-be murderers out there that are only not doing it because there's a Have law you, that exists. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. There's a lot of would-be criminals of any act that wouldn't do it because of the repercussions they could face. Yeah, but see, other things in my mind are somewhat different. The, the, the idea that there's a lot of people that would have no regard for another human life like that would willy-nilly, you're going too slow, I'm going to run you off the road and kill you because I don't care about you. Now, I will admit, I'll tell you this, well, hold I think on, the number Fabian, is greater I, than zero. Young Mr. Marmarin, <laughs> I, no, <laughs> I will admit that you see a lot more people in a different scenario than I do in your, in your profession. Sure. <laughs> so sure. all day long, you, you more than likely have much more insight than me. Yeah, we, should just probably dive into that. we should probably dive into that part. Right? <laughs> we will. <right? laughs> okay. It's like, who the fuck is this guy? And why is he making these claims about his understandings of human interactions? Let me look up this guy's credentials. So, so jumping down that road, um, yeah. the thing that made you just stick in my head as we met um, is we were in some, I don't know what bar it was, some place in Fort Worth across from the Cowtown Coliseum. Yes. Uh, you would know. Um, and... I ordered, uh, I think, Lagavulin in 16. And I said, oh, okay, I kind of like that single malt. And your question was, what do you mean by that? <laughs> and then I said, okay, what are you talking about? And you said, how nerdy do you want me to go? <laughs> and I, that opened an entire world of the spirit world. And I don't mean the, the supernatural. I mean the no, alcoholic spirit. Consumption of spirit. Yeah. Um, and I, three hours later, I still had more. It was fascinating. So... Clearly, and this goes back to my original point, that you're no slouch with your, with your mind. Uh, and we just experienced some of that for the last hour. Um, Has it been an hour? Well, almost. Where did your love 
uh, and and appreciation for the nuance of liquor come from? Okay, sure. So, now, and, um, and and would you consider yourself like what do you call your your profession? My profession? Yeah, uh, mixology or what is that? No, is that just listen, a, a marketing uh, listen, term? That's just a marketing <laughs> term. And if anybody who refers to themselves as a quote mixologist, <laughs> um, you might as well refer to yourself as a cocktologist as well, because <laughs> like that is just <laughs> you know that's you make awesome. cocktails, you might as well be a cocktologist. So. Um, I think, I think I'm a bartender. I, I work in the hospitality industry. That's, that's, that's what I do. And my, that's uh, broad though. That's really broad. Sure. I'm a bar. I, I, I specialize in food and beverage, mm. hospitality, hospitality of food and beverage. And that experience is what my specialty is in. Um, and the management of that. So I think that your question was, where did my passion from it come from? And I, I think it was something that I, um, I begrudgingly admitted after a certain amount of time, it took probably about six years to really admit and own that I wanted to do that. I was previously uh, in the military. Um, and then I worked in the private sector for a little bit. And then I you know, I was also going to school and I wanted to go, uh, I double majored, uh, I wanted to study medicine. So I was pre-med bio and I majored in philosophy as well. Oh, brother, like I said, and, <laughs> this is insane. and you know, my, my, you know, my, you know, now beautiful wife, she, you know, she, she, um, kind of gave it clear to me, she was listening, it's clear that you, you know, you really enjoy these topics, but, and you, you light up absolutely when you start talking about them, about the concepts and, and everything that's happening or what has happened and, and, and how they function. But there's something about you that, that, that shines differently when you start talking about food and beverage and about cocktails and about, you know, engaging with people and this other stuff. Maybe, maybe this is actually your passion. You're failing to admit it because of, so many stigmas surrounding being a bartender or being a server or managing a restaurant and stuff like that, that have been, you know, characterized by the society that we live in. And, um, you know, it's not a real job or it's not this or that or the other. And, you know, and I really had to take the time to think about that. And I realized that you're right. It's not, not a real job. It's a real career and it's a real life experience to have. Um, I, I get to engage with people at a level, I get to engage and meet people at a level that I would say, you know, I, I would argue because of my career path, I have probably met and had conversations with 10 times more the amount of people than any other human being in other career fields. Oh, without a doubt. Absolutely. Um, mm -hmm. So... I think that's what it was. I think I had to begrudgingly admit and shake off the stigma of, uh, you know, this isn't a real life career path. And then, you know, I dove into it more and, and it allowed me, I think the only reason why I've become kind of good and knowledgeable at what I do is because I've, you know, had my ego checked 
aggressively by other people who are much more knowledgeable in so many other categories than I am. And I had to eat a lot of humble pie and I continue to, and every now and then my ego may get larger than the pie. So I decide it's time to make a bigger pie and try to eat that one and understand that uh, I'm only going to be, you know, very Socratic in, in, in my thought that, you know, I, I have to own that I know nothing. And in that, will I be able to attain everything? So I'm only as good as the attention and respect I've supplied to others who have come before me or who are just skyrocketing in their ability to comprehend things and they're kind enough to share it with me. That's my answer. <laughs> Short story long. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the reality is you're an artist all day long. And, sure. And well, you say sure. Some people paint with art with paint, art with chalk, I art with a camera, uh, digital manipulation of of art of graphics, um, and you do the same with your palette and tools, which are pieces that you uh, have brought together. I asked you once when you we were out there um, if you see or can taste the drink that you're planning to create before you do it. And you said, absolutely. What in the world is that like? Uh, that's weird. It's a weird question because it's one of those things that I think a lot of people forget that in, in knowing, in knowing that there's so much trial and failure to getting to that. So you asked me, do I see or taste it before I even create it? Yeah, I see and taste it before I even create it. But I have to fail yeah. Oh, yeah. at making it so many <laughs> times before it gets to that. Mm -hmm. Like I, I only know it once I have it. Mm -hmm. I don't know it. I, 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 know, I know the feeling it should supply emotionally, psychologically, and texturally, and visually. Um, but I don't always know how to get there immediately on the first try. Mm. Um, I'd probably say, I don't know how to get there immediately on the first try 90% of the time. <laughs> um, but in that, it has allowed me to understand trial and failure. And in the trial and failure, I have succeeded at things by accident that I wasn't even attempting to achieve. Mm -hmm. the, the focus, the central focus of what you do from my understanding, you can correct me if I'm wrong, is you're creating experiences for people for with, sure with, with the drink and food and working those together. Um, right. right. In, in an industry that is abused and damaging to a lot of people, how do you, how do you mentally man prepare and manage that process? Cause you know, half of the people that are going to walk up to you and order something are just going to abuse it. How do you mean? Well, I mean, alcohol is extremely dangerous oh, and extremely okay. abused by people, sure. and it, it causes a lot of damage uh, in society. The art side of it is fascinating to me, and it's really, really incredible. But it's also sure. the other side of that is horrible. How do you manage that? I mean, you, you're the guy doling it out. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, uh, I'm lucky that we live in such a free country 
that people are allowed to have personal responsibility for their consumption. And I, as an individual, can also, as an overseeing body, tell them whether or not they've had too much or not. Um, I don't know if that relates to anything we're talking about, but uh, maybe. <laughs> um, I think I think you know it can be tough because I've seen you know lots of heartbreak of mm -hmm. people on both sides of the bar, uh, you know, behind the bar top and receiving product from the bar top, and it, um, you know, I, I can't tell you. Well, I can tell you, but um, you know, it absolutely can ruin people's lives, but that doesn't mean that that's the only thing it does. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to recognize that. Like we were a, you and I were able to bond more and develop, you know, and, and get invited. You invited me onto your podcast because of our consumption of spirits in the body of sharing the spirit of engaging with one another. Right. So like, I always say, Actually, let me just answer your question directly. I think it's difficult. I think it's it's it has a unique space. Uh, the majority of individuals are usually responsible for it. Mm -hmm. um, it's definitely heartbreaking when you see the abuse happen or when a sad story happens. Um, and that's why it's so important that you have a certain level of responsibility greater than what the minimum standard is of whatever TABC says or whatever, you know, being certified bar, you know, to serve alcohol. Uh, you have to care more about it than what the minimum, you know, standardized test is for it and be attentive to it. Um, that's my answer. I think, I think it's, it's something that I, I deeply care about and, and I watch for, and I kind of avoid uh, certain types of people on purpose. And I, you know, you slow down their service or you do certain things um, or you just don't, you just, you know, you make it uncomfortable for them to want to even be in that place. And it's some, that's like that thought itself is something that's shunned in the hospitality industry. But the reality is you have to make a decision about, you know, what it is you're going to be doing. And if you're going to be partaking in perpetuating a problem for somebody else and which could turn into a problem for you and your business. Mm -hmm. How important is it to be a good, uh, <laughs> I want to say comic, to have some comedic uh, ability and be a good bartender? Oh, man, uh, I, I don't know. It depends because I have lots of people who tell me, like, when they meet, <laughs> when until they actually speak with me, I had, I had a, a fellow bartender. She worked with me uh, a little bit, and she knew me. Everybody, lots of times, either people think I'm super serious or I'm a bit of a prick or whatever have you. Okay. And then they work with, and then they work with, they work with me. They work with me or like they're behind the bar with me or, or they actually like get to sit and, and actually engage with me. They're like, oh my God, Fabian, you're actually funny. And I was like, wait, what do you mean? Like, you know me for three, what do you mean I'm actually, actually funny? Right, right now? It's, that, it's, it's the action, it's the, yeah. it's the actually part that gets me upset. Right. Uh, because what were your thoughts on me prior to that? And I don't know, you just seem so serious or you're a bit of a, you know, uh, you know, cold or arrogant. I was like, oh, Oh my God, no, I'm definitely not that. I can see why I come across that way. It's something I've been working on for a really long time and I probably will never be good enough at it. But um, uh, for sure it matters and you have to know your audience. And I've, listen, I've, I, I've been lucky that, you know, you or other people um, who, who are the reason why I have a successful career, you know, a, a somewhat successful career uh, found me to be somebody worth exchanging drinks with or having drinks with or being served drinks from or food from. 
in that experience. But I've definitely, you know, I've definitely bumbled and fumbled and created all sorts of uncomfortable debacles because I read the room wrong. I read the person wrong. I, you know, I, I've, I've made serious errors in, in engaging with somebody. And um, so, yeah, it's helpful, but at the same time, I've, 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 I've fucked up like quite a few times and, and, and I definitely have to own that. Like I'm not there. I do not, I'm not batting, you know, 100 here. I'm, I'm probably batting, you know, it's not going to translate over to baseball, but I'm probably batting 600, but getting it wrong 400 out of a thousand times is, is definitely bad. It's definitely, it's definitely bad, but in baseball terms, it's, out of this world, right? 600 is dynamite. My goodness. That's phenomenal. For sure. And as long as that percentage is greater than the bad one in this reality, then you'll be okay. Then you'll be okay. You'll be okay. Uh, What's the most irritating drink order you get? All right. So I'm sure by now you realize I'm not going to give you a straightforward answer. Yeah. Um, Uh So uh, I think the most irritating drink order I get is the one inside my head that has a voice that says you should you should you should make them feel like shit for ordering that <laughs> how often do you uh, succumb to that <laughs> i okay so i used to succumb to it a lot like like years ago years and years ago i used to succumb to it a lot uh, i still have a habit of doing it depending on where i am working um but uh now it's just like, all right, you know, this is what they want and then educate them or, you know, have somebody else or make sure that you're making something fun in front of them. Mm-hmm. And then that'll change it up. Um, mm-hmm. as opposed to, you still there? I'm here. All right. As opposed to, um, your video left though, but that's all right. Yeah. I just see that. <clears throat> let me, let me, let me get that's back right. in there. I'll, I'll get to it in a second. Um, so I think that I'll just actually, you know what, here we go. Because it's it's really just you and me here. <laughs> That's true. We've grown we've grown comfortable <laughs> enough. Here we go. All right. I can see the unfinished. There you go. <laughs> uh, you know. So I think it comes down to just giving people the experience, like you said, and and not being such a snob, not being a cockatologist, right? Uh, being being somebody who understands people are there to kind of get away or, or you know from whatever it is that they're doing that's why they're coming in to have a drink or that's why they're coming in to have a meal because they want to escape the you know the everyday or the routine things or you know just have it done for them so i i've i've learned it's really important to not be a snob and about those types of things and to you know create and contribute to people having an ability to have somewhere to escape to outside of their home or outside of, you know, whatever. And I, if you really, listen, I'll answer. I hate it when people see the type of bar they're in and they order something like, I'm not going to go to a dive bar and ask for an elegant cocktail. Like what kind of prick am I to do that? Like, (laughs) Hey, I want you to make me, you know, uh, you know, a riff on an old fashioned. And then I start like belittling the fuck out of the, this poor, you know, you know, dive bar bartender because like they squeeze the orange or they muddled this or they muddled that. Or like, if I go to like a high end cocktail bar and I, 
you know, I then insult them saying, oh, no, I don't want all that type of stuff. I just want to, uh, I just want a, a, vodka, a Tito's vodka. And, you know, me as the bartender, when somebody says Tito's vodka, okay, sure, but I'm charging you three times for a Tito's vodka as opposed to a Tito's soda. So, because that's typically what they want. What? So, all right. There's an ongoing joke inside the, the bartender community. People end up ordering, they want to order Tito's soda, right? But what they end up saying is, I'll have a Tito's vodka. It's like, okay. So then you give them the Tito's vodka, and then they complain because it doesn't have soda in it. Well, it's like, you didn't order that. You requested that. I, I, it's like the whole- So the, you have to read like, minds then. Yo, for sure. You for sure have to read minds and you have to like figure out what people want and like clarify it to them. And then like you have to walk the thin line of not making them sound like they're fucking stupid when they said the thing that they said. It's like, you don't know, no, you don't want that. Yes, you do want this. I understand this. But it's it's a weird meme, the Tito's vodka meme, um, or uh, uh, I'll have a vodka Tito's. It's like, okay, sure. Like there's a, I forgot what it is. There's like, there's one bar and restaurant that like when people order it, like it's on the menu and it says Tito's vodka, but be warned, you are going to be charged a hundred dollars for this because of the upcharge <laughs> of having Tito's vodka. So, so, so is Tito's a thing because of marketing? Do they do such a dynamite job of becoming recognized by their name, or did they used to be good? Or, oh or, wow, that's a load. That okay. The second part of that question was loaded. I'm trying I, to slip one in here. Yeah, I see that. No, uh, I am going to be diplomatic here Whatever. as best I can. Um, I have hard feelings uh, about. Uh, let me phrase that. I have, I have uh, firm and established feelings about vodka. Um, that are flexible. However, they're usually not. That being said, I think Tito's, you know, the, they did a superb job um, in their marketing campaign. Uh, you know, I, I think it's- Are you on their payroll? It, no, I'm I mean, absolutely come on. not. I could be. <laughs> Tito's. Answer. Tito's, if you want me to. I can, I can handle right. all- all of your all of your garbage arbitrage. I can I can I can handle that. I can I can be like uh, what is it when the the secretary addresses the uh, all the reporters at the secretary press meeting, mm -hmm. press, the White House mm -hmm. press meeting. I'll yeah. do that. I'll do that for Tito's. I'll do Perfect. all the all of that. Nice. Um, the but yeah, so uh, they have an absolutely superb marketing campaign. I think the thing that they um, they played on, and it's going to sound mean, they just played on people's ignorance um, and with the whole phrase of gluten-free. Uh -huh. um, that's Isn't that's all really, spirit gluten-free? All, all spirits are gluten-free, uh, period. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, distillation distillation eliminates, and, and scientifically, you actually can't ever say that anything is free of anything because you always have a 99.99% that's as accurate as you can get. Right, so uh, <laughs> exactly. So, this is the problem with you. <laughs> so, so there's that, <laughs> but realistically, all distilled spirits <clears throat> are gluten-free. Um, so short of somebody having celiacs, um, that's not why you aren't feeling well from, from the vodka from liquor. <laughs> it's because it's uh, cheap it's, vodka. It's, <laughs> no, it's because you just, it's probably because you drank too much of it. Yeah. <clears throat> and yeah, obviously, you know, the distillation process has a big role in what chemicals they are cleaning and clearing out through the process, how efficient they're doing it, how many times they do, you know, you know, but once you distill something, it's distilled, right? Mm -hmm. um, 
So their success really stems from a few things. One, we're vodka from Texas, right? So obviously Texas is big supporters of their own brand in theory. Secondly, um, they use the phrase handcrafted, which they got sued over to my knowledge because they're not. Um, Well, do you have to define that properly then? Yeah, you have to define it properly, right? So, you know, handcrafted kind of implies small batches, Mm. right? It it implies, you know, and if that's not, and technically everybody handcrafts their spirits, right? Because, you know. At some point. uh, Yeah, so it's just great titling and and marketing, um, the way that they phrase it. And then lastly, you know, playing on people ignorance of the fact that all distilled spirits are gluten-free so they said you know gluten-free vodka made from corn well of course it's going to be gluten-free if it's made from corn right right. and then two you know and most importantly is all distilled spirits are gluten-free no matter what um and again short of you having celiacs there's there's no there's no measuring and even people who have celiacs who who consume it um They've done studies, interestingly enough, and sometimes um, it hits or doesn't. So it depends on how severe celiac is. Mm. So it, is it just a bad product or, or an inexpensive, cheap product that's just not very good? It, uh, is that why in I your circles the, it I has can, a wrap? I, can, I cannot make the decision for what other people's palates find enjoyable. I'm talking to Fabian right now. <laughs> um, sure. It, it, so, is it a crap product? <laughs> I don't think it's a crap product. I okay. think it serves its, per, its purpose perfectly. I don't think it um, serves their purpose. I don't. What's for the, sure. Well, what's I, the purpose, though? To get drunk? Then yes. The, the, the purpose is to be an approachable, uh, certain quality level, non palate inspiring spirit, which is vodka. And gluten right? free. Uh, Tito's, yeah. did you just hear that plug? He's ready. He's ready for prime time. <laughs> Non-palate inspiring because because vodka is a is a blank palette, right? Yeah. It's supposed yeah. to really just be f- colorless, flavorless, uh, aromaless, really. But it still has obviously you can smell the ethanol. Um, so so but, it exists. So vodka is something that exists only for the result of of alcohol, right? Right, and arguably every single spirit is vodka first. Mm. Okay. Right. So when you distill something, you basically have a distilled, you basically have vodka for the most part. Obviously, anybody can jump in and say, well, no, he got this wrong. Okay, but for in simplistic terms, mm-hmm. anything that you, any products that you take and you distill, you have, you know, essentially- Gasoline. Vodka, yeah, you have the ethanol from it. Yeah. And ethanol is vodka, right? It's what you do in the next step, you know, aging process or instilling flavor profiles, whatever it may be, that, qual- that gives it its qualifier or what type of grain or product you use uh, to make that ethanol that gives it its qualifier, hmm. right? Um, like we had a conversation about this uh, vaguely, like what what qualifies bourbon as bourbon? Hmm. Do you remember this conversation? Well, I, I, I'm not a fan of the flavors that I taste when I taste bourbons, labeled bourbon. Okay. So okay. I, I I don't know I, I don't remember that specific piece of it no. Okay sure let's let's take it differently. Like what it. qualifies let's 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 what qualifies scotch as scotch? That's from Scotland right? Okay. But what else? I don't know the the okay. the products I I don't know. So these are things that happen Scotland. right? Scotland. Okay. <laughs> what what separates a single malt 
from what does single malt scotch mean? Mm, see, the, the, this is where we got that. And I, I always assumed that it was one, it came from one barrel, basically. And that's, that made it single. Uh, uh, a blend was blended barrels. But you told me that wasn't the case. So break that it's, down. Yeah, sure. Actually, it's funny because I don't want to get this wrong. So I'm going to actually read some old notes. that I, I'm going to refer to some old notes that I have. But I'm going to tell you before I start you have, Of course you have uh, notes on this. So, you know, previously, you know, single malt is pretty, is, is confusing because a lot of the, there's so many laws surrounding how things can be phrased or how they have to be structured. And then the type of like follow up uh, um, uh, verbiage, written verbiage that has to be supplied at a different location on the bottle. Uh, so it, is this because it's like licensed and like controlled so heavily because of its alcohol content? Uh, I'm I'm sure that's probably a, con- a huge contributing factor. Yeah, because um, like champagne, almost, you can't be technically champagne unless it's from what, a certain champagne, 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 champagne <laughs> right? Champagne, yeah. Champagne, yeah. Champagne, France, yeah. France. Um, but yeah, so well, and, um, and oh, is that the the distinction with bourbon? It has to come from a certain region. No, mm. we, but yes, and we'll dive into Sorry, that. Sorry, we're jumping all over the place. Yeah, yeah. shotgun so, here. For, yeah, sure. So. For what a single malt scotch refer to, right? So there was a really great class. Um, you know, I, I'd been learning this for a while, but it was really great because there was a class at. Um, there is a gathering that happens after there's a gathering that happens. There's a there is, and it's. Did you magic. say that with your pipe it's, between your teeth? It's it's, it's magic. <laughs> nice. The gathering it happens every year. Uh, so um, uh, there is a. Uh, essentially a conference that occurs every year in New Orleans. It's called Tales of the Cocktail. Uh, This is a plug for them if they want it. Uh, It is an absolutely uh, outstandingly organized event. It's over a period of roughly just under two weeks in July in New Orleans. And it is a bartender food and beverage hospitality conference. And they do everything from mental health to social involvement to reach out to Mm -hmm. cocktail education to spirit education to sponsorship to events to competitions to all the stuff surrounding this experience Mm -hmm. and it and you have bartenders and and spirit companies from all over the world attending every single year in new orleans i strongly recommend you attend uh if you haven't or look into it uh it is absolutely worth every single affordable dollar to participate um, and there was a class there, there was a seminar, uh, and it was titled, um, what, do, uh, I was, oh my gosh, what was it called? It was called, what, what do you, you're, it was called, you're confused. I'm confused. Right. <laughs> and it was about, it was about labeling of whiskey and labeling of liquor and, and what it means. So single malt really like. Single grain scotch, right, is a grain scotch from a single distillery. It doesn't Ah. mean that it's one specific thing. Mm -hmm. Like, it doesn't mean that it's one specific, you know, type of grain. It just means that it's been malted in one single location Mm. as opposed to blended. That's all it means. So grammar usage and rules are apply. So linguistics is very prevalent in how they go about labeling everything in in this industry um so like single malt batch versus single barrel 
is a unique term as well. Like American single malt is at least 51% malted barley, whereas that is not the qualifier for, for like other brands as well. Um, so like you have blended whiskey, you have single barrels are much more difficult to source, to scale. You have barrel proof. Um, you have, you know, all this other stuff. And, and barrel proof is not um, watered down essentially, right? Or, or is that not? Well, technically no, but at the same time, you're going to get percentage-wise mm -hmm. different proofage from different barrels because they are an expression of what's occurring inside of that. And it depends also on how much, like what the temperature was for each barrel, where it was located in the stock house, all these other things. So you're going to have X amount of water that left one barrel that didn't leave another barrel. Mm -hmm. So yeah, but then if they blend it, does that still, if they blend two barrels, does that then qualify as a barrel proof? Ah, because I, I have yeah. a bottle of Laphroaig that's barrel proof. Right. I, I mean, I haven't opened it. So like, know, but supposedly more potent, right? It's got a higher. No, it is. It is. Right. So what's occurring, what's really occurring is it's pretty straightforward. It's sitting in the barrel over X amount of time because alcohol weighs more, ethanol weighs more than hydrogen. Uh, what's happening is because of the heat hydrogen, you know, the H2O atoms are combination are leaving faster than the alcohol. So it's separating. And because of that, you're going to have this ABV in that barrel. Uh, but yeah, to answer your question, single malt, you know, what that, what that all means versus blended Scotch whiskey. Um, blended Scotch whiskey is a great product. Uh, it gets a lot of flack sometimes. Um, but what they're doing is they're just taking X. Or blending it to a specific flavor profile and they're buying the rights to use it so that then they can put their label on it example johnny walker right so they don't so, distill they're just a bottler basically i'm not going to answer that because i do not know all okay. the intricacies of everything that they do but, but like you necessarily maybe can't go to the johnny walker distillery like you can go to the lafroy distillery or for sure or for sure wherever uh, uh has again one. but is that all marketing <laughs> Maybe, maybe, but like one, one thing that's really important is like you asked about it, go say, what is the difference between bourbon? You brought the question up. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a few things like it wasn't until I want to say the fifties, forties, that bourbon was created as officially legally recognized by the federal government as a sp specific United States product. Oh, so bourbon is a U.S. Beverage. product rest specifically okay um so few qualifiers include but are not limited to um no it does not need to be made in bourbon kentucky um that is a great story and kudos to kentucky for essentially <laughs> right. kudos for owning like 95 percent of all the all the bourbon made in you know, sold in the world comes from Kentucky. So, you know, they definitely want to keep mm -hmm. that story and they want to keep that there. It's a very strong market. Um, but bourbon needs to be essentially 51% corn base, not essentially, it must be 51% corn base. Uh, it must be uh, distilled to uh, no greater than, uh, I want to say 62% and no less than 40% ABV. Um, and then in addition to that, it has to be aged in new american oak barrels they do not have to be charred they do not have to be you know anything like that toasted um and there's no time limit on that either so like if you distill corn 
So whatever you distill, if at least 51% of it is corn-based, you are going to put it in a barrel of American oak barrel. You can put it and in that morning. You can put it in that morning, mm-hmm. walk around town and sell it out of that barrel and call it bourbon. Mm. Now, everybody <laughs> confuses that with like straight bourbon. Straight bourbon actually implies an age period. It implies two years, that it's been aged a minimum of two years in the barrel. You That's what it implies. Does it not mean that? It means that. Oh, yes. okay. It means that, um, but it also implies it, it also implies a minimum of two years. Mm-hmm. Um, because people think that straight bourbon is the only kind of bourbon, but it's not. So that's kind of like Is this marketing again? Marketing again, for sure. Okay. Um, and then so you have, you know, all of these factors. And then, you know, on the back of the bottle, if you have a bottle of bourbon or even a bottle of scotch, whatever it may be, it'll say, uh, sourced and bottled by sourced mm-hmm. by blank bottled by so and so and blah 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 <clears throat> and let's see that in the back so you know there's just lots of little caveats and catches on on what the legal requirements are on on how you say something then like for instance if you take if you have a bourbon and then you blend it with something or like you put it in a different barrel after you've aged it for x amount of years it technically ceases to become bourbon so how do you label that you say bourbon aged in rum casks ah so it was bourbon or (laughs) it's not now but it was finished in you know (laughs) x cask or finished Mm -hmm. in this type of whatever blah 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 blah. and then like you have like percentages of flavoring and profiling and what you're allowed to do for coloration like there's no laws for coloration for canadian whiskey uh but there is obviously for bourbon um there's specific laws for tequila there's laws for coloring it what it looks like yes who comes up with this stuff? Well, it makes a difference and like it's appeal, right? And like and totally because but and like what it, and like the longer it's sitting in a barrel or the type of barrel that it's in also has a direct has a direct reaction and effect on what it looks like and what its flavor mm-hmm. profile is. But let's versus, let's step back a minute. How in the world did this get to the point where you know what we need a law to to establish <laughs> the color of bourbon for crying out same, loud? Well, I'll tell you why. It's the same <laughs> law that hinders people from being murderers. You have the law there <laughs> that keeps people from doing the wrong thing because prior to this, like prior to that, much act, different terrible, consequence. But yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> but like, like you never knew. Like there were, there's been like there were stories from like 1870 all the way up until like 1930, where like people were calling it whiskey or calling it bourbon or calling it this, but like really like there was like spit in it. There was like all sorts of stuff in it. So like there had okay. to be legal ramifications yeah. for doing it the right way or for doing it the wrong way. So uh, that's, that's why we serve like, a coffee shop has to be certified because they're right, giving like, you so a you product have, like, to put in your right. mouth. Okay. Like the bottled and bond act implies yeah. that it's at least 50%. Everything was made and grown at that distillery location, mm. et cetera, et cetera. Um, so uh, uh, where were we? Oh, uh, so like a great example is tequila, uh, also known as mezcal. All tequila is mezcal, not all mezcal is tequila. So mm-hmm. people forget about this. Mm-hmm. There's a big like movement in the bartender. Move, I'm going to call it a big movement. I'm, over exaggerating but there's like a niche group in the bar community that's saying make tequila mezcal again uh instead of separating <laughs> it the way that it was uh because all tequila is mezcal um so um that being said George Clooney has one by the way uh, yeah he does <laughs> yeah there are a lot of celebrity uh tequilas uh mezcals mm-hmm. I agree um so in tequila obviously can only be it can tequila can only be made in like I want to say, I should know this a lot better than, than I'm admitting on a recording. Um, uh, there's five, you know, there's five 
there's five regions that you're allowed to make tequila in and source it and grow it. And in addition to that, some of those laws include uh, coloration and flavor profile enhancement. Um, and that means up to 2% can incorporate flavoring or coloring, okay. right? Now, 2% doesn't sound like a lot, mm -hmm. right? It sounds very minimal. But what people forget is like on a chemical level, it's not linear. So when you batch something, you make something, they compound, right? Okay. Because they're interacting with each other, mm -hmm. right? So sugars turn other sugars or things that wouldn't naturally be sugar. So let's say you have one liter bottle of tequila, right? Or let's say you have 0.98 of a bottle of tequila, mm -hmm. and then you add 0 0.02 amount of vanilla extract to it. Okay. Okay. Won't be super noticeable. But if you take 1,000 liters mm -hmm. of, of that, and then you add 20 bottles of vanilla extract <laughs> to that. And that gets distributed about, yeah. That gets distributed mm -hmm. very differently, right? Um, so that's why you have certain añejos or certain brands that are doing, you know, you'll notice, oh, this tastes like a vanilla bomb or it tastes like caramel bomb. Yeah. That's but, on but they're purpose. still under that 2% threshold have, within yeah, that, they so they're to, good. Yeah, mm -hmm. right. So that's why now there's like a huge movement for, okay, but what about who are the brands that don't do that? And, you know, <laughs> why do they not do that? And what's the difference? And honestly, the difference is night and day. Really? Like, you, yeah, you're tasting processed sugar versus like naturally occurring sugar and mm. in, in how it tastes. But yeah. Um, so yeah, that's uh, like, that's kind of like the, the short and long of like how how many rules are made into what we have. And the reason why there's so many great products now is because those rules exist. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on um, places like Kirkland, Costco's brand of sourcing, you know, and make bottling their own stuff? Um, I think it's great. I think, I think it's good for them. I mean, I don't have, I don't have anything against it. I don't, I mean, I don't, I honestly, to be fair, I have not consumed Kirkland liquor uh probably in at least 10 years yeah so yeah. i do not have an answer for that um but from what i hear it's great um you know it's uh it's comparable to you know high-end brands as well does the brand matter always it matters always when the brand has an established reputation. I thought you were going to say it matters always some of the time. <laughs> <laughs> it gotcha. matters always when the brand has an established reputation. So that can be a real interesting, like shaped sword. And I'm not going to say double edged because it's like, it's more of like a curvy sword okay. because um, if you have a bad reputation and then you start supplying a great product, that's, mm -hmm. that's great. Mm -hmm. But if you have a great reputation right. and you do something that isn't, it can be different from other things that you've done, but if the quality isn't to par, mm -hmm. you're hurting yourself. Is, is that the same, would that be the same kind of thought process behind value? Like an expensive bottle may not necessarily mean it's worth it? Or does it always mean like a $3,000 bottle of scotch? Is that going to be better than a hundred dollar bottle i'll put it to you this way can a 10 year old appreciate a 66 mustang the same way a 30 year old can 
So your experience consuming it matters? Your experience and consumption matters. Interesting. Your experience and consumption matters. Okay. Um, that makes and sense. obviously, you know, whether or not you can afford it or not matters as well. But and also, <laughs> right. but for, and throw also that aside. Much, I mean, if, right. if, if I had and a, also like the numbers are kind of arbitrary too, because it depends on how much the the distillery, what it costs them to make it, and what they think their cost is to mm-hmm. make it, mm-hmm. and what they think the return needs to be in making it. Yeah. So, like you have, you know the retailer, and then you have the secondhand market, right? Like there's a brand, in my opinion, that if it had different packaging, it would sit on the shelf for $35. Interesting. Um, Instead, what does it do? Instead, it gets, you're going to, you're starting to see it at retail stores for like $120 and you're seeing it secondhand, the secondhand market for like $400. And it, the name of the brand rhymes with Cantons. So, you know, um, I think that I'm not saying it's a bad product. I'm not bashing it, but I think that something's going on where you're, you're creating your marketing gimmick or whatever the you know, marketing campaign has been um, is, is creating, uh, you know, violence to the market. <laughs> um but yeah i think that uh you know packaging matters obviously i think we all know that for everything well just look Um, look at the wine world i mean wine is sold primarily based on its label isn't it um and and i'm thinking like in the store sold because i mean you may know you like a red or you like a cab or whatever. Uh, but between those, it's a matter of how cool the label looks to a lot of people, isn't it? So, yes, right? But, okay, yes. How cool the label looks, for <laughs> sure. Um, it is a contributing factor. But I think one thing that everybody always loses track of is like how important it is, whoever it is your guide is for the purchase of what you're having. So like, it's important that whoever these retailers are, they take the time to educate their staff and making sure that they're able to supply quality input to customers and or guests at food and beverage establishments to supply them an opinion and guide them on what it is they can or should have. So like, you know, you don't judge a book by its cover. Like there's lots of really cool art, you know, on wine bottles and it tastes like trash, mm-hmm. right? It just, it just tastes like, it tastes like trash and they're going for the art on the bottle as opposed to the art in the bottle. Um, and I think that uh, uh, labeling is cool and packaging is important, but at the end of the day, you know, it, it comes down to the reason why some brands are successful and others ones aren't is really just because of, of, yeah, they, yeah, you can get to somebody by having cool packaging, but are you going for the one-time sale or are you going for the infinite sales? Mm-hmm. And if you aren't going for the infinite sales, then your packaging better be fucking awesome. But see, few people, I, I would assume, have the same depth of knowledge. So that I you, disagree. That, that, that Before you. you go any further, no, I disagree. And, and so... How do we, you, and we, I'm not in this, it's just observing. How does the industry educate 
dummies like me when it comes to what makes a wine good outside of the visual packaging. Sure. So uh, I'm going to address this twofold. One, the snobbery around what is good and what isn't good needs to go away. It needs okay. to be more or needs to be more around of you need to start learning what it is you like and what it is you don't like and why it is you do or don't like those things. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like you can't be a 28 year old or a 40 year old going to a four star restaurant and requesting mac and cheese and chicken nuggets like you have to like have. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You have to have experienced things like even if you end up not liking them, you have to understand why you don't like them right mm -hmm. so let me i, I wanted to address that secondly i think actually most people realize this they just don't know that that's what they're doing okay um you will have bought something because you thought oh this looks cool right and then you're like oh you open it you taste it, you're like that is not for me <laughs> right so it comes down to like you asked the question you know how do we educate people and, and it's that it's that engagement and that's where like the perk of going to a bar or restaurant is that you get the chance, even though there's a markup on it, you get the chance to taste something before committing to the entire bottle and it just sitting there and taking mm -hmm. up space, right? So like, if you want to try a new scotch or if you want to try a new type of wine and, oh, I've been wanting to try this wine. And, oh, look, they have it, you know, they have it by the glass here or mm -hmm. they're, you know, they're selling you, you know, a tasting of this, that or the other, or, you know, lots of brands do uh, tasting events at different bars or cocktail lounges, et cetera. So you get to taste their product as opposed to committing to purchasing an entire bottle. Does it cost one third or one eighth of the bottle? Typically it's going to cost, we, we can dive into this. Uh, typically if it's wine, what you're paying for is uh, each glass you're paying for each glass, you're, each glass you are paying ideally one third to one fourth of what the bottle costs plus. So like if it was a $30 bottle of wine, mm -hmm. they usually try to make that back by the second glass. Okay. So, okay. and then right. how many do you get out of a bottle? Four? Four or five, okay. depending on the clause you're doing. So it's like, if it's a, if it's a, you know, if it's a 750 milliliter bottle, which most wine, wine bottles are, uh, you're looking at, you know, we'll, we'll round to 25 ounces, um, down to 25 ounces and, uh, or, you know, Typically, most places are doing anywhere from four to six ounce pour, depending on the glass. So it depends on how it looks like. So you have all these things that come into play. And, oh, we need to have this glass size because if it's in this glass and you're 0.4 ounces, it looks way too small if you're doing this. But if you have this glass size, you're 0.6 ounces, it looks way too big. And it doesn't, it looks like, you know, teenager poured it versus like it being classy or clean looking. <laughs> and then, um, you know, same thing with liquor. Typically, liquor, when you go to a bar... Uh, you're looking at a 5x markup, right? So whatever that price of the bottle was, you're paying, you know, you, you divide that by five or you multiply it by, you know, I, I don't know why I'm, I'm struggling right now with this. Uh, anyways, so- I mean, it's early on a Monday. <laughs> yeah, this is on a Monday. So uh, typically what ends up happening is, all right, if the bottle costs this much, uh, single pour, which is typically an ounce and a half, a single pour should always be an ounce and a half. A single pour is going to cost usually one fifth of whatever that bottle costs. Okay. All right. So now you have markups and things like that because mm -hmm. some places aren't, some places aren't going to sell you a shot of vodka for a dollar, right? They're just going to round up to $4 and that's where they make them their killing. Um, so what was now, the question? Now it is the <laughs> How, how do we educate people so it's not just the bottle? Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. Uh, an, an, an anecdote, um, 
I was at a steakhouse in Sioux Falls a year and a half ago, I guess. Um, and they had McAllen 18. And so I just ordered that neat. And 43 bucks. Now, by that margin that you said, that's a $215 bottle. I can't buy that for under three in, you know, wherever I've found That's that. because you're buying as a retailer. Okay, yeah, you're that's bu- what I assumed. Okay, okay. You're not buying it. You're not buying it as like a vendor, gotcha. right? Yep, that makes um, sense. So there's, there's that, right? Mm-hmm. And then also, here's the difference. Mm-hmm. That rule only applies to certain tiered products. Mm-hmm. Once you start getting into age products, mm-hmm. then it becomes times eight, times 10, times 20, because you're talking about availability of products. Gotcha. So, so wh- how many pours can you get out of a 750 bottle? How many pours can you get a 750 yeah. bottle? Okay, if you're doing 17, one, if, no, if you're doing, no, if you're doing, so 750 milliliters translates to, I, I usually always get this wrong, but translates to like 25.3 ounces. Okay. Uh, um, so are you like 12 or 13 pours out of a bottle, roughly? No. So typically, so typically every place, like every place of business rounds down to 20, 24 ounces because you're going to get spillage or whatever mm-hmm. have you. Someone's going to overpour. Someone's going to give a little bit extra to somebody because they think they're cool. Right. So <laughs> they ask for the less ice. <laughs> right. So if you're presuming, if you're presuming a standard single pour is one and a half ounces mm-hmm. and you're doing the math for your cost at 24 ounces per 750 milliliter bottle, you are getting 16 pours out of there. Mm-hmm is what you're getting, right? Um, now, if you're doing one ounce shots, then you're getting 24, right? But you're not always getting that. You're gonna get a two ounce neat pour. You're going yeah. to get a double for three ounces out of that. So that's why it's important okay. that you price it out based on the ounce versus, you know, mm-hmm. however it's doing. And then you can incentivize it, like lots of business incentivize it. Uh, let's say it's $10 for a single pour versus uh, 17 or $18 for a double, right? So, you know, at that point, you're, you're, you're maximizing your dollar return and you're not getting lost in depositing percentages because you don't deposit percentages, you deposit dollars. Yeah. So let's talk about age now. And then I, I mean, part two, we need to really dig into this, but for sure. this one, um, sure. the, the age of a scotch uh, or even a bourbon, I've seen like a seven year bourbon. Um, at what point is it just marketing? Um, or does it always get quote unquote better with age? And I'm sure some of that has to do with your preference. Probably a lot of it does, but like a, uh, a, the difference for me between an eight year Lafroy, uh, Lagavulin and the 16 is noticeable. And I do prefer the, the 16. There's something in the eight that I don't know how to explain that I don't love, um, love the wrong word but it just kind of like i don't know if i like that piece of it that little bit of that the i don't know the word but it's something in there the eight that i don't like as well as okay. and it's missing in the 16 it's gone okay. it's not there what is the oldest lagavulin that you've had 16 okay are you familiar with the other ones no <laughs> I've, I've had the 16 and the eight okay and i do have the 11 the offerman edition just because i wanted it on my shelf okay so <laughs> there is a actual scale that exists uh, for all spirits based on their chemical composition. Okay. Um, I'm going to give you an example first, and then I'm going to tell you how it actually works. Okay. Um, you as a 
60 year old, right? Uh, for example, not I look good for 60. Yeah. You, but you as a six, <laughs> you in general terms are 60 years old, right? Mm-hmm. The experience that you have is great, but the body that you're in can't supply that experience to the world okay. physically. Right. As in like you pretend that every bottle of liquor is an athlete on the field, mm-hmm. right? Sure, you as a six-year-old have a lot to contribute experience-wise, mm-hmm. but you are not an athlete on the field yeah. at 60, right? Why? Because you peaked out physically, mm-hmm. right? This is the same thing with liquor, right? At a certain age, it peaks out and flavor just dissipates, right? All the flavor just kind of gets neutralized at a certain year, and it depends on the type of spirit and the type of aging process and the barreling and everything that you do. So. Like if you were to, like the older it gets, the reality is at a certain point, the more it tastes like nothing, Okay. the more you're tasting, you're tasting less. Mm -hmm. There is less to taste at a certain, at a certain point, right? There is less to experience. It's just super smooth. So you could be very smooth at something. uh, But it might be more singular. It's, It's there's no care. It's not exactly, it's lacking okay. character at this point, right? Physically, you're lacking the character to provide, uh, to do, to create complexity, to create an experience at the level you would have at a younger age, right? So you peak, where is that peak? Well, it varies, right? For some spirits, it's 12 years. For others, it's 16. For others, it's eight. And then it depends on the palate of the individual as well. Mm-hmm. So like that's going to play a big role as, as far as like consumption is concerned. But- um, the short and the, and then the actual, like, you know, math answer is each spirit specific to what its aging vessel is and its chemical composition will peak at a specific age where it will no longer be able to impart a quality level of elevated flavor profiles. And it will start degressing where it will reach maximum flavor efficiency and then after that, it will start decreasing and start tasting less and less like anything. Mm-hmm. So on its way up, it has complexities and complexities start interacting a certain way. And then it reaches max, like efficient, max flavor profile achievement. But then after that amount of years or ages, it starts dropping down and all these flavors start leaving. And the ones that remained are more become muted. Okay. So when you're tasting something that's older, it's like really difficult to say, in my experience, like it kind of just tastes more like nothing. Mm. Oh, you did a really good job of making this alcohol taste like nothing versus, <laughs> oh, I taste this, I taste <laughs> right. that, I taste that, I taste that, yeah. Huh. Is, is uh, there a, a standard, not, not a standard, it, it, is there a generality that's kind of consistent? In the different sure, like so I'll definitely Scotch, get I'll you know what, in, in, you know I'll I'll really mix it up here and mm-hmm. and, and, and get you know non diplomatic here. So there is a very specific brand, uh, and I'm probably gonna get in trouble for this, but you know I'm not on their payroll. <laughs> Apparently I'm on Tito's payroll. Right. So there's a very there's a very specific <laughs> brand. Uh, it's from France. It's called uh, Louis Tre Louis you know, Louis Thirteen. We're all familiar with this, mm-hmm. right? Their infamous story is that uh, the distiller that creates the spirit will never have the opportunity to taste it, but his grandson will. Because right? it ages that long. Because it ages that long. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, 
Now, in creating a world, that's a beautiful thing, right? A beautiful world is a place where men who plant trees won't be able to appreciate the shade it supplies, mm -hmm. but the generation after it will, right? That's great for that. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't work the same way in liquor, right? <laughs> uh, Louis Trey is incredibly smooth and easy to drink, but what you're paying for is you're paying for the story and the amount of time that's been invested in creating the product. And the glass bottle it's in. Crystal right. bottle, sorry. <laughs> sure, but yeah. also the time it's taken, right? Because you also have to do a, an equation here on, mm -hmm. okay, how much money are we losing or how much money do we stand to gain? Oh, just by sitting year, it there for By decades. sitting it yeah. there. Well, we're talking about almost a century, right? Um, so wow. uh, that is, you know, and then, you know, you're getting so little back too, because you're, remember, you have vapor escaping outside of the barrel. Mm -hmm. So you have a full barrel, you know, year one, end of year two or three, you have like a, you know, 94% full barrel year 10, you have like a 40% year old filled barrel. So like a lot of it depends on like the type of wood, mm -hmm. uh, typically most French whiskeys or cognacs or brandies or whatever you want to do. Um, very popular, uh, that they use, uh, is limousine Oak versus like white American, but a lot of them are now using white American because of how tight it is. Uh, so because of how porous it is, it allows one of the reasons why like, there's been such a great boom for bourbon is because of the fact that we're using American oak and American oak, you know, on a biological level, it is more com uh, compact. It is more compressed than other types of oak. So less escapes through mm -hmm. the pores. And because alcohol, ethanol, we said this at the beginning, mm -hmm. uh, their chemical composition is fatter than H2O it's leaving more ethanol in the barrel gotcha. versus H2O and right. the ethanol is intermingling with the barrel. And that's where the flavor profile comes from. Hmm. But so, you know, you reach a max level of efficiency and flavor profile. And, uh, so, I, so, so with saying, Louis Trey, are you buying the experience of it? Is that kind of what you're, you're buying? The, I think, the story? I think, I think you're buying the story and you're buying, you're buying, um, you're, you're buying the amount and you're buying the time you're buying the story and you're buying the time mm -hmm. is what you're buying. Is that uh, the same RP, with, um, and you're also buying prestige is what you're buying. Right. Okay. Because it doesn't just, if you don't just order Louis Trey and they pour in a shot glass. No, Louis Trey <laughs> makes sure that whoever carries their product uh -huh. has a silver tray with specific silver and crystal embodied glassware that it's served on and presented and supplied to the person who's having it. So it's like a whole so show. It, it, it's sold as an experience. Like it's, it's not allowed to just be poured unless you own one. Right. Unless you own one. And even then you spent that kind of cash. You're not going to just pour it out. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's fascinating. Um, but yeah, so, you know, no, I can definitely. It's part of its scarcity too. Just because they well, built this thing, or or is it really manufactured? No, it's well, you can't say anything in today's age isn't manufactured, but I meant the I scarcity say, manufactured. Yeah, I I will say that um again, you're paying for the time and the time creates scarcity, right? Because you're and like this is the part of the story that I really do like, right? Like one of the things that like American bourbon does or other brands do, there's something called bottled in bond. What you're doing is you are purchasing essentially an experience that's been bottled in a specific seasonality 
during a specific year and time. This is why wine is so like, as it has, right? What are the three V's of wine? You're right. The vineyard, the vintage, and the varietal. Mm -hmm. Where was it grown? What type of, you know, fruit, i.e. grape is being used? Uh, and what year did they do that, right? So for whiskey, they have that same story. And obviously for cognac, you know, Louis Trey, it's the same story. Um, for whiskey, it's bottled in bond. And they're telling you, we grew the product and we bottled it and then harvested it this in this year. Mm -hmm. And that is what you are tasting. And it's interesting because when you see that and you compare it to other ones, you almost can taste the difference in the year. You can taste the difference because it's the same exact, it's the same exact place. It's the same exact grapes. It's just a different year yeah. and yeah. different things happen to you. It's like, it's like you comparing yourself to you last year. Are you the same person? Yeah, but also you're not. So is it necessary to really enjoy the, the complexities of, of these kind of uh, experience drinks no, like this? No, I think this? it's really... But, but it, it, I mean, is it necessary to, to be able to compare and contrast between ages and um, between is it, bottling? Is it necessary to be able to do that? No, but you're definitely doing it without knowing that you're doing it. It goes back to that. Right? You, you start realizing what you like and what you don't like. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that what ends up occurring is, you know, you start finding out, oh, this was a good year. Oh, this was a good year. Oh, I had that one. It was okay. I like this one better. And then, um, you know, that's kind of where you start getting geeky like I've been. And like lots of other people, you know, get, in, get into that, that war. It's not absolutely necessary. It's really just there for labeling and for legalities and for like people to understand what it is that they're having mm -hmm. uh, in detail. But, you know, you're going to like what you're going to like. You know, it's great to know and to learn and to, and to experience and, you know, kind of dive into those things. Mm -hmm. But you're doing it without knowing that you're doing it. It's like an automated experience in that level. And then you can dive into, interestingly enough, how or why it functions and why it is that's the answer that you got, mm -hmm. right? Why is that the answer you got, right? So you were functioning as a calculator, but like, okay, but why is that the answer? <laughs> Working backward a bit. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Um, but yeah, so that's... Uh, that's kind of, uh, we kind of got a little bit nerdy there. I would have loved to discuss, you know, a few other things. I still am happy to, um, uh, but I, uh, I know that I, I, I kind of ramble sometimes and I get, I get bogged down in, in, in different things. Uh, I promise you I'm much more entertaining than I have been in this podcast. <laughs> I don't know about that. I think it's great. Uh, I, I think we were, were we together for about three hours? I think we were, we were Worth, together. Yeah. Yeah, we were, and, we were, uh, we ended yeah. up, we ended up drinking and it was pretty, it was pretty fun. And I think that's the, I think, so like for me, I think the one thing that kind of got lost, like something that I'm working on now, but uh, like the whole concept of, of, of bars, uh, in my opinion, uh, was founded on the idea of individuals sharing in the spirit of sharing their spirit, you know, who they are as a person and what they think and, and what they are. So cheers. You know, so, or more specific than that? More specific than that. Um, so and so also, and then not just a venue to go avoid your life. Right. Okay. But also in, in, in the spirit of consuming spirits, right? Mm. Like the original old school, like, like I, and I said this to a friend the other day, I said, I think it's funny how, how things transform over time. You know, this country was the original safe space. And now we're condemning the concept of safe space which is interesting. Mm. Uh, it was a safe space in that this was the only place you could really go to, ideally, which was the founding of it, where you could talk about the five most important things in people's lives that nobody ever wants to talk about or is shown to talk about. Mm -hmm. Sex, drugs, politics, philosophy, and religion, religion right? Yeah. 
um, you know, prior to that, you were facing, you know, uh, a quote, court, close quote, uh, held by the king or monarchy mm-hmm. or aristocrats or royalty, whoever it may be. Uh, but here, the idea was it was a safe space where you could discuss all of these things and exchange the ideas and then, you know, have drinks while you're doing it and then go about your way. But do, do you um, see that? Oh, my goodness, this can go for another three hours. Could you, can you see that? I mean, the, the safe space that's wanted today, that's being kind of demanded, is not that. It's actually the, it, it, it's, it's the thing that America, like, came out of. Like, it's the thing that you don't, by you talking about that, that, I, that's unsafe for me, so I can't have you say that. Whereas it should be, this, what you just said, is everything is open. Now, we may disagree, yeah. we may argue about it, but we at least have the, the, the ability and the freedom to talk yeah. about it. It, it is that the same or is it different um it is because it's possible that the, the safe space um moniker is should mean the same thing but it doesn't right um no i think I think it means the same thing, but it's being used the wrong way. So like, for instance, the whole concept of safe space originally, which was a founding concept here, you know, Mm -hmm. or an enacted on concept that was founded in Europe, but it was enacted on here. Um, It was founded in other areas as well, but it was enacted on here was the simplest fact that people could come to a space and agree that they were going to disagree about things. Whereas now safe space is like, I want to be in this area and with other people who are just like me, who agree about what they don't like. And we want to make sure that nobody else is allowed to mm-hmm. like those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that, that is not the same. Like that, that it's is, not the same. yeah. And it's that, not the same. Do, do you that's think that's called that a club? New... And if you want to start a club, <laughs> right, you can start it. a club. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. It's called a club. Mm-hmm. And you know, where you have, you know, but a university or, you know, uh, a university or isn't the sp- isn't the place for that. And if it is, it's inside of the fraternity or sorority that mm-hmm. you joined. Yeah, yeah. Because the whole point of that is to yeah. create these little pockets of yeah. groupthink. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. these little clubs of groupthink, yeah. uh, you know, and of association. Um, so yeah, uh, but that was you know I I think that's the founding tenets of like what not cheers like cheers in the sense of like you know where everybody knows your name or not, but like also like at a higher level of like, it's not just drinking beers to escape. And it's Mm -hmm. not just like, you know, knowing people's name because you guys drink at the same place. It's more about, you know, you look at images and drawings of what like the pub scene and the bar scene was like Mm -hmm. in the 18th and, you know, 19th century. And you see people by candlelight discussing and there's like, there's books and they're exchanging ideas mm-hmm. or there's like an and uproaring. there's a bottle of whiskey on the, on the table. And it's yeah. uproaring time that's mm-hmm. happening or like there's something very serious occurring, yep. but it's occurring. Right. And now it just kind of feels like the super corporate cutout uh, scheduled experience of how it is. You have to be in the place as opposed to just being in the place and enjoying, enjoying the exchange of the human experience while enjoying also the consumption of the human spirit. Mm-hmm. You ever watch Peaky Blinders? I have. That, 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 you know, the whole borough, wherever they're at, is centered around their pub or their, right. their, I don't right. know what the, is that pub? Not, is that what they call it? 
Yeah. But it's, but it's not... where they do their business. And now it's, it's a mob business, but it's business. And right, so you get right. together and it always is. Here's a glass. Here's a pour. Now let's talk business. Yeah. Right. So there was more going. And, you know, it wasn't stuffy like a lot of places have become now. Yeah. Yeah. And, For you know, sure. it, it is that. I think there's something to that. Do you think coffee has some of that or could have some of that atmosphere around it as well? Say that again. Well, you know, pe- people gather about the bottle of whiskey and have have these com- bigger conversations. Do you think that sure. can happen? Like, can coffee be that where you come together and you, or or is it not? So the answer, the answer, the answer is yes. People can do that. However, the reality is why it's such a big hit with alcohol is because there's alcohol involved, right? People are. So does it going- like lower your guards? So you can actually have a better conversation. Is that the theory? Yeah, for sure. For sure. And it's about knowing how to temper that. Mm. Um, it's about knowing how to temper that mm-hmm. and knowing, you know, where, you know, where, where that zone is of, okay, I'm in this space now where I'm kind of enjoying it and realizing that you don't get more in that zone by drinking even more. You get more in that zone by maintaining a pace once you've got there. Okay. Right. As opposed to like, okay, now I'm in this place where I feel like I can talk and engage and socialize with people. If I drink more, I'll be able to talk and engage with socialize with people even more. Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. If you want to stay in that zone, you now have to not have, you need to just hang out there and like have some water, have some food and have another drink, like, you know, and finish that drink and have it take you like 30 minutes to finish that drink as opposed to, you know, how right. fast you put down the first few ones. Yeah. That's how you stay in that, you know, you know, a uh, highlighted zone of, you know, <laughs> dropped guard and socialization and acceptance of others. And it's a small space. And once you catch it, once you realize you're in it, mm-hmm. you need to realize drinking more is not going to <laughs> expand that it. space. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> drinking more is going to have yeah. me leave that space yep. in a very super aggressive, <laughs> a super fall asleep yeah. or a super, you know, annoying way to others mm-hmm. and to myself. Um, and I think, you know, sure, coffee can do that, but it doesn't, it, it, it's not alcohol. So it doesn't, mm. it's alcohol, the spirit, right? Like, that's what it is. The whole reason why they're called spirits is because when you distill it, you know, the vapors escape. And back in the day, they thought that that was, you know, the spirit of whatever it was that they were distilling. So it, do you think Escaping. there is a spiritual component to spirits, in quotes? Uh, and, and religiously, no, but like, as far as for lack of I mean, of better, spiritually, though. Like, it, it, is it possible that there's either good or bad, that there's a connection that's created? Or a door that's opened? You know, some say, you know, some drugs do that. They kind of open you to a different dimension. This yeah, you like know, that. putting anything in your body that alters your state of mind, for sure, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and alcohol just, you know, is, is definitely uh, good at that. Yeah. Alcohol All right. Definitely good at that. I, uh... I, I want to keep going, but we will do part two. Most, most no definitely. Worries. Yeah, for sure. Uh, for Raphael, sure. Uh, Fabian Raphael Marin. Yeah, Fabian Raphael Marin. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, proper it. underscore bartender on the Instagram. Yeah, funny enough, if you actually uh, just type in proper bartender, I'm the only one that shows up. So well, how about that? that? Fantastic. Yeah, how about that? How about that? Pro- proper um, bartender. Check it out. Um, it has been a pleasure to get to know you over the last few months and uh, cool. You as well. Thank I, you. I appreciate that. Thank you for taking the time. And I, I so much want to do it. I know when we were together with the old 
young Mr. Thompson. Um, <laughs> we, uh, we, we talked briefly about the possibility of doing a live episode somewhere in a cool bar. Uh, yeah, that would be great. Which I think that would be a blast. Be. So uh, if we can make that happen, I will certainly uh, wander down to the, the Fort Worth area and do yeah, that. Yeah, that sounds great. so fun. I wish I could have given you more. I hope I did okay. Uh, uh, thank you for having me. And um, yeah, that's that's uh, all I got. If you have any questions, like he said, you can find me on Instagram at proper underscore bartender. And uh, awesome, awesome, awesome show. And and really, uh, really grateful that you uh, you decided to take interest in uh, anything I had to say. Really appreciate that. And we didn't even talk about Georgetown or... We didn't talk about uh, oh, we didn't none talk of that. About I mean, there's no, all kinds no. of we have an entire probably a series we should do. So anyway, sure. uh, Fabian, yeah, sure thank you so that. much. Uh, I appreciate it. Um, we will certainly hear from you again. Have a wonderful Looking week. Looking forward to it. Thank you for having me. You do the same. Proper underscore bartender on the Instagram. If you want to find out more about Fabian, thanks so much for hanging out with us for the last couple of hours. It's a fun chat. We will do it again. Part two will be coming up. Uh, in the next months, hopefully, whymillblink.com is our website. Remember, you can help support the show. You choose the value you got out of it. You decide what that's worth to you. You send it our way, whymillblink.com. Click on the Donate Today button, and we will continue these conversations. We'll see you next time. Thanks so much for hanging out. Have a fantastic week. <laughs>